I don't think it's by chance as well that all of the, uh, the rioting, looting, you know, protesting and things along those lines, even the crimes of injustice that have taken place have happened so repeatedly and so abundantly in a time where the church is not allowed, has not been allowed to assemble. We really appreciate you joining us for the Run the Race podcast, where again, we talk about faith and fitness on a weekly basis. Today, our focus is on um, the things happening really all around the nation, the racial unrest uh, following uh, the death of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis, and so many protests happening all across the nation, not just in Minnesota, but Atlanta, New York City, Los Angeles, and uh, so much divide across our nation. So I have a pastor on today, Pastor Michael Grant, who sat here in Columbus, Georgia, a former NFL player. He's going to talk about uh, being the father to two young men, African-American, and uh, just about uh, you know life in the midst of the pandemic, and also you know faith in the midst of this racial injustice and uh, all the, the fighting that's going on really across the nation. So uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. This is episode number 27. The last two episodes, if you missed them, I uh, had some really great guests on. Uh, uh, the last episode we had was uh, actually has been one of the most popular we've had in uh, the uh, six or so months of doing the Run the Race podcast. We had Lazarus Lake on. He's the infamous, uh, legendary race director of the Barkley Marathons, now in charge of the virtual race, the great virtual race across Tennessee, which has about 20,000 people that entered that uh, 1,000K over the next four months, and uh, he was a hoot. Uh, he's called himself Old Hillbilly and uh, up in Tennessee, and uh, uh, lots of people very interested in, in hearing some of his wisdom. And before that, we had a, a Fort Benning chaplain on, uh, a major who talked about uh, his experiences uh, more than 15 years ago in Iraq where there was an IED, an explosion that happened, and eight of his fellow men from his unit right next to him all killed. And the fact that he had in his hand at that time a Bible verse that he was trying to memorize while he saw that car coming with the explosives in it, and he still has that car to this day. Sixteen years later, he's carried it every day in his pocket. Talked about that story of faith and uh, the story of redemption uh, because his son was born literally a year to the day after that uh, deadly explosion happened. So for today's episode, again, we're talking about uh, just the racial injustice and what we can do with that and, and how it relates to our faith and, and our belief system. And I wanted to read something to you that, that I wrote that, that I felt God gave me just a few days ago, and I, and I put it down and, and shared it on social media. It was just, just my thoughts, very raw and kind of you know from the Holy Spirit. And it says, words don't do justice. What happened makes me feel angry, disappointed, helpless. I can't relate to being abused for the color of my skin. All I know to do is pray for God to move supernaturally for healing for our nation, for justice for George Floyd's family, for grace for my African-American brothers and sisters, for an end to racial hatred, for unity above color so we can breathe together without feeling scared. I want to do my part. Tell me how I can help. God, use us to make a permanent change. And that's just, you've seen so many people sharing uh, different things about uh, the uh, the racial unrest and protesters going on. And I'm going to be talking to our guest, Michael Grant Jr. about that today. He's a Georgia native who uh, who is now uh, taking over a ministry that the late Dr. Ann Hardman, his mother, uh, was in charge of. He has been the senior pastor now at Faith Worship Center International in Columbus, Georgia, just about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. Also, he's the CEO of Michael Grant Ministries International. He is a, a husband 
and father of uh, two sons. And we're going to talk about uh, that experience of being a, uh, a husband and a father as well. He has his own podcast, the Michael Grant Ministries podcast. And uh, he also uh, was uh, a player in the NFL for two years for the Cleveland Browns, also an interim coach for several teams, and uh, has been uh, is in the Hall of Fame for his alma mater where he played football, Mars Hill University. His uh, jersey, his number has been retired at Shaw High School in Columbus where he played football as well. He's authored uh, two books, including a recent one called Principles of Faith. He's been honored with a resolution from the Georgia State Senate for his acts of community service, and he is focused on helping people get the best out of them by the power of God. So here's my conversation with Michael Grant Jr. All right, welcome to the podcast, Bishop Michael Grant Jr. Thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us. Glad to be here with you, Jason. Thanks for the invitation. And you're going to have your first uh, in-service church service coming up uh, this Sunday after, what, several months, right? Correct. We've live-streamed for a month, and then we went to a parking lot praise service where it was a drive-in style worship service. And now, June, we're going into our in-house open service. It's going to be RSVP style, so our, our congregants will sign up for the service. And uh, so it's the first come, first serve basis. That's why we're keeping the parking lot service as well. So it's two services, a 930 parking lot and then the 1115 RSVP service. So it's an exciting time. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into some serious issues today, talking about racism, talking about the pandemic and and faith and, and your time in the NFL and also, you know, being a father, especially in the midst of this such a tumultuous time. But at first, I wanted to kind of get to know you a little bit, kind of a fast forward is what we call it. So uh, just you know, some quick questions to get to know Michael Grant Jr. Okay. Uh, so first of all, tell me about um, your, um, you know, we already talked about what, you know, what you do for a living, but what is your job description at work and also at home? Okay, job description at work. <laughs> I am the supervisor. I'm the preacher. I'm the teacher, the, the uh, trainer. Uh, all that comes with being a pastor, but at home, I'm the enforcer. I'm the one who sets the rules, and I'm the one who enforces the rules. So that's a bit of a difference from one element to the other. So good cop, bad cop, you're the— Oh, I'm the bad one all day long. Don't tell dad. Don't tell dad. He'll get me. Yes, he will. Healthy respect. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Also, um, and I know you used to play in the NFL, but how do you, you know, nowadays stay physically fit? Yeah, with uh, the gyms starting back to open now, I'm still doing at-home workouts, so I'm big on cap. Calisthenics, big on high intensity interval training, uh, doing push ups, sit ups, things along those lines, Pilates, yoga type stretches, and so forth. I was introduced to that as a professional athlete, so that's kind of spilled over that I still do. So, anything that gets the heart rate up, working those major muscles, you know, get that core body temperature to a high level, and then we get to burning those fat cells. So, yeah. All in the comfort of my own home. Yeah. Well, you're still a young man. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll be 40 this year. I'll All right. Be 40 this that's year. A, that's, so. a, that's a big year. It yeah. is. Um, well, tell me about, I know you've been a senior pastor for several years now. Um, do you have like a certain spiritual motto or maybe a particular verse that really for you stands out? As I've navigated through life, uh, the scriptures has changed based upon where I kind of am in life. But one thing has been consistent, and that is sharing my faith, making sure that I'm open about what I believe and I live out my faith. So as our church model goes, I kind of coined that phrase, we're living for God and sharing our faith. And so as we're living, we're also being an example. We're also sharing verbally and through our actions. Yeah. And the last of our fast four, um, what is something unique about you? Something unique about me <laughs> is that I enjoy 
singing. Oh, okay. I'm said to be pretty decent at it. So that's kind of, I don't look like a singer uh, when you meet me, but I enjoy carrying a good tune. So you've got two books now, but what about albums? Any kind of, uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm decent at it. Okay. I didn't say I'm a recording artist. You could, you could join the choir. There you go. I'll be a background singer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thanks so much for that fast forward. Um, so now we're kind of getting to like some of the, the serious topics because mm-hmm. we have so much going on in wow. today's world with COVID-19 pandemic. And then you've got uh, most recently, you know, the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia and George Floyd in Minneapolis. And then these protests happening just across the nation. Right. So for you, you know, as a pastor and as an African-American, um, do you, what are your thoughts about this the racial unrest and just the protests that we're seeing happen even in our own backyard. Yeah. As a nation, it, we like to believe that we've come a long way. And uh, and yet there are times where reality sets in that there are uh, still people who don't um, handle themselves according to where we'd like to be as a nation. And so, first of all, as a human uh, my heart goes out to those um, and their families who have suffered those have suffered loss. Uh, but as a as a man of God, it's important that my position is different from the masses. And by that, I mean that uh, we're supposed to allow our lights to shine. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5 and 16 that our light should shine so that men can see our works and glorify God. How I approach, even though I may feel a certain way, how I respond should be different from the norm. And so that to me says that I should be the voice of reason to those who perhaps are angry and are responding in anger and are doing so in a way that is not in alignment with the law. So, um, you know, yeah, using using my platform as a pastor to encourage others, you know, peaceful protest is your right as a citizen in the United States of America. But where you go beyond that, doing that the right way and making sure that you manage yourself and conduct yourself appropriately, I think is where we should find ourselves and what we should promote or what I choose to promote as a human and as a man of God, man of faith. And I heard you in, in most your most recent sermon about the overflow, talking about how you know, um, you know, f- when you fight fire with fire, sometimes you get fire, right. and uh, you have to make choices because you know um, we're all in the situation together. Yeah, yeah, everyone is. In, and, and the unique thing you'll see about the protests that are happening now is they look very diverse. There are people of different colors, different backgrounds, different ages, different genders who are coming out to voice their disdain about what's taking place. And so true enough, we are in it together. And yet when we uh, release anger against uh, injustice, it's more of the same in the same pot. And so, yeah, I concur. We got to do something different. We have to voice it in a way. I love what uh, the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that, which is the opposite. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And we're supposed to be, as people of faith, we're supposed to be known by the love that we share. And talking about, you know, putting that faith into action, you know, how, how do we do that? And how do we make sure, like, George Floyd's death and all this stuff that's happening, that it's not in vain, that we don't just, like, a, a month or two from now, we're back to the way we were. Right. It's all about dialogue. Communication is the key to civilization. Our ability to communicate uh, candidly and yet respectfully with one another. I just actually here recently was able to sit in with uh, a panel of individuals of community leaders in faith with community leaders in our uh, police force and department and so forth. And we were just having dialogue about what is expected of them, what is expected of us, how can we stay out on the front end of uh, making sure that things go accordingly. And again, it just goes down to 
it boils down to communicating and making sure that the lines of communication remain open. If I'm talking about it respectfully and I am doing my best to voice what I disapprove of and you are hearing it, perhaps you can create policies. Perhaps you can put parameters in place to ensure that this thing does not happen again. It doesn't repeat itself. But if we don't talk about it, we can never move forward. Yeah. And I've heard you also say that, you know, hey, you know, um, all the stuff that's happening and, and George Floyd's death and, and a lot of the injustices, it's, uh, it's, you know, brings up anger. And you, you said, join the club. You know, right. we're, we're all angry about it. But how does, how do you react to that from a faith perspective? How do you bring Jesus into the middle of that oh, anger absolutely. and hate? Yeah. Well, as people of faith, we should always bring good news regardless of what the news is in our in our arena. So when we are expressing our faith, that means that we are showing forth the character of God. So it it it, it means that we are conducting ourselves in a way first of all and foremost are we praying the bible says that if if uh, my people are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways so then will god hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land i believe that if we are doing the same things acting and conducting ourselves the same way that the angry individuals are then we are showing god that we're not in alignment with what he what he's instructed us to do so it's important that number one we pray and number two we don't do what the others are doing but in response we have to voice it goes back to communication with those who are angry hey Make sure that you're doing it the right way. If you're protesting, make sure that protest doesn't turn into riot. Make sure, number one, that you have a permit for your protest. Make sure you know that you're rallying with people who are think like you think, believe like you believe, not just people who want to be seen and want to make themselves a hit on social media because that's the, that's the craze of the community now. So it's important to be to vocalize what we believe to other individuals and to always remain vigilant in prayer. Because you might say that, I mean, maybe even, you know, maybe let's say 90% of protesters peacefully doing everything correctly. Right. And you got five or 10% that are out there, maybe coming in from out of state and right. looting and, and causing destruction, which kind of puts a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Absolutely. And then when, when they leave, we have to live with the aftermath. So it's vitally important that we stand up, speak what we believe in, protest the right way. But at, at the end of the day, it all boils down to prayer. Prayer, it gets a bad rap because it seems like it's uh, evasive or it's not, you know, taking firm action. But prayer is powerful. God, God sanctions prayer. And when we pray, he hears us and he begins to cause things to work in our favor. And, you know, you grew up in Georgia. Uh, I guess it would have been the 70s and eight, mostly 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, did you yourself personally experience racism and, and how so either maybe in school or anywhere else? You know, as a child, I, I was never I guess our parents did a great job of sheltering us from that type of thing. I never identified racism as racism. I was always an individual who who was of a mind when I was wrong, I would be addressed because of it. If someone did not like me, I didn't know why they didn't like me, but it was just a part of life. And um, so I was, you know, I never saw racism abruptly. I mean, I might could count on one hand in the 40 years that I've been alive, how many times an individual has blatantly just shown that they did not like me. And it 
boiled down to the color of my skin. But it was not something. It was very few and far between. So, you know, I, I think it's something, honestly, that if you're looking for it, you might find more of it. And that might not sound something like a black person or an individual of color would say. But I, I honestly believe if you go looking for something, you'll find it. But if you posture yourself to say, no, I'm going to rise above it, then you won't face much of it. Yeah, and you, I grew up in a, a family of faith as well, which probably helped you out as well. Oh, and so, you know, and speaking of that, what, what can churches do in the midst of of so much divide yeah. uh, in the Chattahoochee Valley and really across the USA? Um, what what should or what can churches do to kind of plant themselves, you know, plant their flag for this? Yeah, uh, being well, first of all, it's difficult because we're in the midst of a pandemic. So as we started out by saying many of our parishioners, we haven't seen them in a matter of weeks, you know, 12 weeks, months, even via zoom or whatever. Right. Exactly. But even those who tune into our live broadcast, we don't get interaction with everyone. And even with zoom meetings, that's not everyone that comes and attends your, your, your services. And so we're behind the eight ball in that respect. But even outside of that, uh, knowing again, keeping a, a voice of reason in our broadcasts, in our live streams, and in our interactions that we do have with our people. Uh, word of mouth is still, in my opinion, the best best form of communication, best form of uh, marketing. And so as we uh, each one reach one, continue to be that example, share that voice of reason. And again, I reiterate, be vigilant in prayer. That's the posture of the church. Sometimes the church is, is and I think that's where the church organ organization is expected to do something. But really, Christ's church are the people. We, the people, are the church. We're the ones who've been called out. And so we as individuals must live out our faith. And that's when we get the most results out of our, our expression. Like it's often said, it's not what happens maybe within the four walls, but right. it's most important to what happens outside there, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. Uh, you know, church has not happened in the four walls in quite a while. And you were talking earlier about how what the plan is finally getting kind of back in person for those that are comfortable. So what's it been like as a pastor, um, you know, here in Columbus, Georgia, um, you know, having this social distancing and quarantine and trying to hold church over the last two or three months, is that, has it been a struggle? Has it opened your eyes to things? It's caused us to have to be very creative. It's caused us as the church to be uh, very flexible and fluid. Um, but I will say in the midst of the fluidity and the flexibility, it has caused us to have a greater level of appreciation for the actually assembling together of believers. I don't think it's by chance as well that all of the uh, the rioting, looting, you know, protesting and things along those lines, even the crimes of injustice that have taken place have happened so repeatedly and so abundantly in a time where the church is not allowed, has not been allowed to assemble. So you have people who don't get much social interaction you have and not to mention the students and the children who don't haven't been able to go to school or college uh, so you have people who've been bottled up at home people and lost their jobs oh man all of this at one time in a time where the church is not able to minister to the needs of the people so there's a void there so again it goes back to the greater level of appreciation we have for the church being able to assemble together and be who God has called us to be. So maybe we'll see a church attendance explode in the next, uh, the rest of this 
this year, perhaps. <laughs> right. When, when restrictions or recommendations lift, I foresee mass conversions to righteousness. There's going to be some people running to the doors. To, exactly. Because, yeah. I mean, because maybe you take it for granted that, hey, I can go to church every Wednesday or Sunday, something right. like that. No, absolutely. Um, well, you talked, uh, you know, um, one of your sermons recently, you talked about focusing on God's expectations and not settling. Uh, because oftentimes we just settle. We say, well, this is what life, it is what it is, is what you hear people say sometimes. With that, do you think people have, in the, in the middle of this pandemic that we've been going through for, you know, two or three months, um, all spring, um, do you think people have grown closer to God or do you think people have maybe lost faith because of that, you know, um, uh, isolation? Yeah, I think there's a little of both. I think you have those who were mature in the faith, who have who have bought in even the more and leaned in and, and used that time to grow in their faith and be who God expects them to be, do what God expected them to do. If you think about the first generation church, it was grown and birthed in the home. It was the fellowship of people house to house, enjoying one another's company and growing as a community of believers. So I believe there is a sect of the church or a section of, of a percentage of believers who have grown closer. But I also think there were some who were just attending you know, just because it was something to do or they thought it was the religious thing to do or the politically correct thing to do to attend church services who no longer uh, have that as a part of their life. And so now it's like, well, I, I didn't go, so I guess I really don't need it. And unfortunately, those are the ones who perhaps fall by the wayside. They maybe don't think they miss it. They're like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine on my own. Perhaps. Exactly. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, coronavirus obviously affecting sports, really affecting all aspects of our life. Yeah. Um, we don't really get to, um, you know, watch f football or, or baseball or basketball, any of these sports anymore. And uh, you played at Mars Hill and for the Cleveland Browns. So, uh, you know, um, can kind of take me back because, you know, um, I'm a guy who did not play professional football. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. Um, but uh, so what was it like for you, um, you know, uh, because now we we're missing sports so much. I mean, think back to. Uh, 15, 20, um, 20, 25 years ago for you, what was it like growing up and being a, um, uh, you were a cornerback right. um, for, you know, um, you know, successful in college, good enough to be in a, a pro football? Right. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a great experience, a unique journey. Of course, playing football from, you know, junior peewee league around here in the Columbus, Georgia area, and then through high, middle school, high school, and even making it to the collegiate level, you know, football it was not just a part of my life. I noticed that it was a part of the community's livelihood and their lives. And so, you know, people miss sports now. Being able to play professionally, you were able to see. And the Browns, the, the Dog Pound, those were some of the most committed fans that you will <laughs> ever meet. And so to imagine that they potentially would not get to go into this season and have that as a part of their lives. Oh, man, there's going to be trouble in Cleveland. You know, <laughs> so, so the best way we can figure out how to make sure that there's some form of sports, it's a part of our culture. You know, it's, it's something that we look forward to. You go to church service Sunday morning, and then you're excited about catching the game Sunday afternoon. It's just a part of our life. So um, it, I, one thing I will say, uh, hopefully they will have some form of, of a season. Uh, but even if the stadiums are not 
fully packed, I can pretty much guarantee that TV ratings are going to be through the roof because people are going to be watching yeah. from the comfort of their own home. And SEC football and oh, NFL goodness. as well. And, and you played uh, two years for the Browns, is that right? Right, two years. Um, so um, do you look back on those days and think, man, those were like the glory days or the, those were the, that was just kind of a rare opportunity that maybe you didn't even dream about as a little kid? Yeah, I you know I did not dream of it from, from childhood, but I did once I got to high school, it was an aspiration of mine. Uh, but uniquely, along my journey, what I found to be my favorite football time was college because of the camaraderie. You get to stay in the dorm rooms. with You get to grow for a consistent period of time, you know, anywhere from two to four years with this same group of men. And you become men together. And so, man, I, those there's a group of guys that I still communicate with on a consistent basis from those days. Now, when I got into the pros, I was uh, I experienced the rude awakening of the business world of sports because there was very little loyalty. There was very little, you know, commitment to an individual because of how good of a person they were. It was all about what have you done for me lately? And uh, so, you know, if I had a preference to rate them, definitely college would have exceeded in sport uh, as opposed to the professional experience and you were talking we were talking about mars hill earlier that's it's in north carolina right. kind of in the mountains beautiful scenery oh, beautiful. there beautiful yeah um and for you you know growing up and you know with uh with uh you know ann hardman as your your mom and and, and norman as your stepdad and and growing up in the faith um was faith a part of your uh, football career as well or was it something that was you know in the forefront where you were able to witness maybe to, to other players oh absolutely there are two things i often say when i'm sharing my testimony two things were consistent throughout my childhood through adulthood that's ministry and football that's uh sports and church i, wa I was always in those two areas and so i was you know I, I gave my life to christ when i was very young i began to live out my faith when i was probably around high school age and so from that moment on i really took my ability to use football as a platform for my faith seriously and uh, to the point that when I uh, was when I signed with the Cleveland Browns I was already a licensed minister of the gospel I had gone through training preparation and things along those lines to equip myself to serve in the church and so absolutely man I had uh, opportunities to witness the teammates. Uh, the chaplain of the Cleveland Browns at that time was a gentleman by the name of Tom Peters Petersburg, and he had served in chaplaincy for over 40 years. And uh, he just basically gave me the keys to the vehicle and said, you know, teach your teammates, witness to them. I led a team Bible study and team members were saved and learned a lot, grew in their faith. It was an amazing journey. And uh, I actually got to play in Europe one season and uh, was able to when, when there was an NFL Europe League. And man, I was able to share my faith uh, on a nationally syndicated broadcast that they have. Wow. So it was it was pretty cool, you wow. know, to you to merge those worlds and to use my faith. Uh, on that platform, you were doing it before uh, before Ray Lewis was. Yeah, hey, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, yeah. and, and uh, you know, with um, we we talk on this uh, podcast about faith and also about fitness. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you think that there's going to be you know when we uh, you know high school uh, football players are just getting back literally this week around here at mm -hmm. practice? Do you think there's going to be a hangover for players and for fans of? of uh, not having that consistent maybe spring workouts and getting excited about football? Anytime there's a difference of, of uh, schedule 
in any sport, you'll notice it in that season. That is just it's the nature of the beast. We are as as or I say as a former athlete, we were accustomed to schedule and a rigorous routine that we would keep on a consistent basis. We knew what to expect in the off season, we knew what to expect in the preseason, and we knew what to expect during the season. And anytime any element of that was shaken up, you would see it in the product. So hopefully, you know, our our fan base or the fan base of all of the sports will be so overwhelmingly excited about just seeing a product that they won't scrutinize, you know, the the details or the drop off in its excellence this season. But I I predict that we will see a slight drop off in in the the level of excellence that we see in these sports. We'll we'll take anything. I'm telling you, yeah, little league, let's play play. (laughs) AAU ball. (laughs) And for average Joes and Janes like myself, you know, or a lot of us, even professionals, you know, working out from home. That's Mm -hmm. been that's the been the nature of things over the last few months. So, do you Mm -hmm. think that does that change the way that you know that regular folks or even pro athletes um, in terms of does that change the way we stay fit and maybe maybe it changes it forever perhaps mm, well you know the, we're a resilient uh, race humanity we have the ability to bounce back really well and so I don't think long term it'll have that great of an effect I think uh, you'll see a dip or a blip on the on the radar concerning you know, health and perhaps injury, but I don't foresee it be sustaining uh, uh, an elongated period of time because a body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. You know, we who are accustomed to being fit and doing something, we found a way over these last few weeks. Yeah, we ate a little more and yeah, we're probably carrying a couple more pounds than we did before we went into quarantine. (laughs) Exactly. But uh, when we come out, I think we'll be just fine. Yeah, well, I I mean, I'm glad that my sport of choice right now is running because you can really do that (laughs) wherever. Go in your neighborhood, you know. Um, And staying fit uh, uh, spiritually is also so vital, um, you know, kind of mind, body, and soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has been your focus or message over the last few months? I mean, has it changed? Because uh, I know God gives you words uh, to, to preach, mm-hmm. um, but has it changed because of the nature of everything that's going on and, and kind of making people relate to the fact that, hey, you're under quarantine, you're social distance, you're, you're dealing with this health crisis right now? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, s- Spiritual discipline, spiritual self-discipline is something that I not only practice, but I preach as well. And so when we came into this, that was something that I was adamant about sharing specifically with our leaders and them sharing with those who serve within their auxiliaries, which is, look, if you're going to be at home, you have to take your faith and your faith walk by the reins and you have to practice those spiritual disciplines. You have to ensure that you're praying, that you're spending time reading the Bible, reading the word of God and that you spend time, you know, listening to music that uplifts you and strengthens your spirit. Because if not, uh, it'll be just a religious, you know, gathering that you're holding or you're waiting to reconnect with. And that's not healthy spiritually. So just like with the body, just like with your mental health, just like with any element of your makeup, you have to give attention to your spiritual uh, health, and that comes from being disciplined in those practices that, you, that you're taught. And you're going to make time for things that you're passionate about that you really truly care about. Absolutely, yeah, you make time for it. And the reality is most of us have spent more time at home during this uh, stay-at-home or uh, social distancing practice, and so we've got more time. Time is not something that has been <laughs> short in the majority yeah. of the population. So hopefully we made the best of that uh, with our spiritual well-being. 
And we talked uh, off mic about uh, how your mom, Dr. Ann Hardman, uh, passed away two years ago. Uh, definitely a pioneer of the faith. Um, and after she passed away, you know, what has it been like? Um, you know, you obviously are her son, but what's it been like being her successor uh, in the ministry? You know, my mother uh, was, first of all, like you said, she was a pioneer. She was one of a kind. And most times when you come behind an individual, uh, most people take on an expectation that you have to be that individual. That route I did not take. I knew whose shoes I was stepping into, and I knew that it would take time to develop the respect and to grow into uh, who uh, the type of leader that she was. But I didn't want to be another her, and I communicated that with her even prior to her passing. Um, I communicated that. Thankfully, I was able to become the pastor of the church that she founded prior to her passing. And so I was able to communicate with the congregants. Listen, guys, if you allow me to be me and who God has called me to be, we'll go places that we have not been before. And thankfully, that's been the track that we've been on. And uh, it's been a unique experience. Um, th the thing about her was she talked succession years prior to her passing. And so she had, you know, indirectly been training me and has been, she was my mentor spiritually. And so I caught a lot of things that she was teaching without even having, you know, the intent of saying, Hey, I'm training you. I caught on to the concepts, began to put them into practice. And, uh, you know, things have been really healthy within our ministry, uh, because of the foundation that she laid, but also because of the training that she instilled in me and me carrying that forward. Because sometimes, you know, we, um, we see what our parents do and we want to run the other direction. Yeah. We don't, we, or maybe a lot of times when you're, uh, we hear stories about people being called to the ministry and they just, they run the other direction as yeah, well. You absolutely. Know? Like Moses, he said, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> I just get out of here. But yeah, you know, and I, and I kind of had a, a, a stint in my life where I, where I did that. And I was actually pursuing professional coaching during that time frame where I looked at the state of ministry, the state of the church, the state of the American church, and even our personal church. And my, my position was, listen, I don't want to take away from what my mother is doing, what she's building. But I, I want to make sure that I... I established something to sustain my family as well. So I reconnected with some individuals, previous coaches and so forth, and was able to uh, be an intern coach for the New York Jets for an offseason and the preseason, as well as the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, that was my kind of running the other way. <laughs> my mom, you know, comically, she would tell me, she told me after the fact, she said, when you were coaching, I was praying, God, don't open the door for them, make them come back. <laughs> and ironically, you know, relationships that were that were established just kind of fizzled out, and I was looking like, well, God, what am I going to do? Well, and you're still a coach now. I am. Yeah, I serve <laughs> in the community as a as a community coach, actually, but even more so, coaching the flock of, of yeah. Christ. Absolutely. And I, I don't want to get you away, uh, let you go without asking you about who do you root for now? I mean, is it the Browns or or I know Mars Hill, obviously. Yeah, but. I love I love my my Mars Hill Mountain Lions, but Falcons? professionally, nah, okay. you gonna it'll it'll throw you for a loop. I'm I'm a Tampa Bay guy, oh. and not because Tom Brady got there. I was I was a fan before he got there. Uh, Just so but, happens. Yeah, but you know some coaching buddies and our former friends in the in the National Football League, they're down there on that coaching staff, and I wish them the best. And uh, so I support them. I uh, all my Falcon fr friends don't don't like me much when the season rolls 
goes around. But hey, you know, I was with them before the there you you know, exactly. before I linked up with the Falcon. For friends. sure, for sure. <laughs> and we were talking about um, your mom, but and now you're obviously you're a dad yourself. You have I think you told me an eight year old and a twelve year old, right? right? Exactly. So we got Father's Day coming up. Um, how do you practice faith with your kids and with your with your wife as well, just as yeah. a family? Because you know you talk about practicing what you preach. Yeah, absolutely, and it goes back to what I said before: is communication. We have family time where we discuss things that are prevalent in our society and uh, how that pertains to our faith or how we apply our faith to that. Uh, we pray together as a family uh, on occasion. Uh, I'm the type of, of parent that I don't force faith on my children because I want them to kind of grab a hold to it. But I am adamant about uh, exemplifying faith so that they can see it. So it's it's a see me lead and then you follow and lead yourself. But I, I, I am very vocal about it. And uh, we are we're, we're a family that is open and honest about, uh, you know, our faith and how we apply that to life situations. So it's it's a pretty unique, fluid and authentic relationship that we have in communicating about our faith. And with the communicating, you talked about growing up, you know, uh, racism wasn't something that you was prevalent for you. But, um, you know, now in today's world, and especially with all the, the, the protesting and racial injustice and deaths going on, um, what do you tell your two sons about that, about, about race and about what to expect as they become teenagers? Yeah, yeah. well, Jason, the biggest deal is, is not so much that it's going on, because those types of things were going on in my day and age. But now we have the World Wide Web where children, they can log on and they can see, you know, with the click of a button, things that are happening that I I had to, you know, hear through the grapevine or allow my parents to gradually uh, share with me when they were ready. You know, so now we we really have our hands full in that respect, because by the time we have conversations, our children already have established their opinion of what's taking place. And so uh, it, it is a challenge, but it's one that. Uh, that we must be willing to embrace, that we as parents are are definitely willing to embrace. I've had more conversation with our 12-year-old, more so than our 8-year-old, about things to, uh, that are, are relevant to him and, and uh, this present age. But um, it's something that I embrace and uh, because I have to, not necessarily because I want to. But, um, you know, it's our responsibility to train up a child in the way that they should go. And uh, we embrace that and we, we're doing our best to to do it the right way. And one last question, you know, uh, when we have all these things going on in this in the world today uh, with the protests over the, the racial injustice and also with the pandemic, and, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll eventually come out on the other side of both those things, mm-hmm. what are your hopes when we do come out of those and kind of get back to a, maybe a new normal? Yeah, I think you said it well, a new normal. I, I don't know that we... With with all of the adjustments and change that has had to take place in in light of the pandemic, as well as the racial injustices that we will ever just go back to the norm. But I think uh, as we um, as we look forward, my hope, my desire, my prayer is that we come out better, Uh, meaning that as we've gone through racial injustice, that we don't build more hate towards individuals, more hatred towards one another, that we don't have a greater level of distrust between law enforcement and, and the citizens, but that 
we we work our way through what needs to be worked so that we can come out better. The same with the pandemic. You know, those who are researchers and scientists who are doing work to ensure that we can at least come up with some type of vaccination or some type of treatment that, uh, you know, we, we come out better and more knowledgeable of how to navigate through it. But uh, the one element that I think has to get back to being some way of normalcy is being able to socialize. You know, because I, I think the term social distancing is it, maybe they should have said spatial distancing. Or more physical. So. Distancing. Right. You know, <laughs> but, to you know, to make there be a divide socially, I think that does something psychologically to yeah. us that uh, we're going to have to work our way back to being OK around people. I mean, you know, you go somewhere, someone sneezes, everybody's jerking their head to see, well, wait, 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 who's here? <laughs> he or she's got Rona. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Got the Rona. <laughs> But um, you know, hopefully we'll be I'm hopeful, uh, you know, because, as I said before, we're a resilient human race. And uh, I believe we've seen worse than this. Now, we've seen worse than this, not with our eyes, but as a hum- as humanity, we've gone through darker days. And so I hope my prayer is that we come out out of all of this better. That's good. That's good. Well, I usually end the podcast with a prayer, so I want to kind of, in football terms, throw the ball to you since you're a corner you're used to intercepting the there ball, right? Go. So I'm going to throw the ball to you and, and ask you to pray us out today. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. Let's pray. Father, we honor you today. We thank you for your presence, even in this room, in this studio where Jason and I are sharing today, and we are grateful for our listening audience. We we honor you in their presence. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to share, uh, to talk about controversial things, to talk about topics that are relevant to today, and to be able to share our heart to know where we are so that we can identify what your heart is for us. In this moment, Father, we receive your heart. We ask, Father, for uh, your love to be shed abroad in our hearts even the more. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed as his body was scourged so that we could have a right to healing. We thank you that even your word says that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And so we embrace that. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you that even when uh, dark days have come, you said in your word that we could arise and shine because your light would be with us. And so we embrace that as our truth. We thank you, Father, for your spirit guiding us throughout our daily lives. Thank you for protecting all of us. Thank you for those, Father, perhaps who have even contracted COVID-19 and you have allowed them to come out on victory side, healed and recovered. Father, our heart goes out. We extend our condolences and our love to those who have lost loved ones. But we thank you that even in loss, if we are in Christ, death has no victory. Grave has no sting. And so we praise you, Father, for victory in and through all things. And we thank you today for being able to share. Father, I speak over Jason and and this podcast. I pray that it will reach beyond uh, exponentially beyond the expectation of the audience that will receive and uh, pray that all will be encouraged concerning their faith and even concerning their fitness in Jesus name we pray amen amen thank you so much pastor I appreciate it and uh, good luck with your first service back thanks so much Jason thank you. I really appreciate that thoughtful conversation with Bishop Michael Grant jr. as an African-American uh, pastor 
his uh, interesting perspective on everything that's going on in the world from the pandemic to the protests to the racial unrest because some of you know many of us are so angry about what happened with George Floyd and with Ahmaud Arbery and really all over our nation, things that have happened for many decades and continue to happen in America today. We pray, God, that uh, things stop and that uh, we show love, not hate for each other, especially for the color of our skin. Turn now to our final segments of this uh, 27th Run the Race podcast, starting with Food for Thought. And we're going to start on the fitness side of things. I found an interesting story from a, a TV station in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, this is a, There's a lady named Sarah DeGray who uh, owns a place called Rev, R-E-V, Indoor Cycling. Of course, it's been closed to the public for a while. Now she's doing a special ride for racial justice. A gym owner, she, she cycled for 12 hours raising money in honor of black lives lost in the U.S., including in honor of George Floyd's death. Now, she was originally going to do you know this for the pandemic. She had planned a marathon day of cycling using one of her indoor bikes. She wanted to fundraise for her own sake, as well as bringing attention to the nationwide issue of of you know uh, the economic toll on so many businesses. Then George Floyd died a week and a half ago, and she said, "quote Instead of canceling it altogether, I shifted focus. Instead, I'm riding to honor Black lives that have been murdered in this country." So she set out just a few days ago, Monday morning, on that 12-hour ride, starting at 7 a.m. in the morning. And uh, she says, quote, we need to have these uncomfortable conversations. DeGray also saying it's time that we shed that fear, stand up and speak out. So the organization that DeGray did that long cycle ride for, she asked people to donate for to include Black Lives Matter of Greater Burlington, Vermont Racial Justice Alliance and the Champlain Area NAACP. On the faith side of things, the New York Times has an interesting article. It's titled, Amid Riots and a Pandemic, Church Attendance Resumes in a, quote, Very Broken World. And they first set the scene in Minnesota at a place called New Season Church, where they had roughly 100 black, white, and Hispanic members there raising sanitized hands towards heaven, saying, yes, shouting amen. Now, more than half of states across the USA have continued to allow religious gatherings. Many churches and synagogues and mosques, though, for safety's sake, have chosen for months to make it with a Zoom or online sermons and live streaming things, many sticking to remote services on Sunday. But now they're returning us a lot of uh, churches to public worship in, in person. Version In California, at least a dozen evangelical churches making a coordinated return time to Pentecost. But several significant outbreaks started in churches initially months ago. So the state of California, their right to restrict church attendance during the crisis was upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court just a few days ago, late Friday. Then, of course, came the national fury when it came to George Floyd's death. Now, on the day before new season service, this is in Minnesota, nearly a thousand demonstrators with Black Lives Matter signs converged on the California state capitol. The pain was really sharp at a place like, you know, new season, a church in the Minnesota area. The congregation there is 40 percent black. 40% white, 20% Hispanic. A church volunteer uh, said that she you know, wanted to tune out the violence. And, uh, and, and this is all happening, of course, on top of the pandemic as well. The people are saying that they think that for this is the church has to see this as, as a wake up call for sure. And the church has to maybe be a safety net for society uh, in the midst of all this mayhem. Uh, there's one uh, person, Reverend Dr. Terry Horde Owens, who leads the Christian church, which has about 3000 congregations 
organizations in the U.S. They're known as Disciples of Christ. She says, I've talked with a lot of black friends and pastors who are altering between rage and tears all at the same time. Now, she's the uh, first African-American, second woman to lead a denomination whose membership is about 80% white. She's had her mission now as black churches mobilize. She wants to make sure that white churches join them as well. And so uh, I think that there needs to be a show of unity not only uh, here in Georgia or Alabama, where I am, uh, really throughout the nation. So the final segment of this uh, Run the Race podcast is the parting gift. And I wanted to quote just some lyrics that I listened to recently on a run uh, called We All Bleed the Same. It's a Christian song uh, by the artist Mandisa. And I'm just going to read some of the lyrics here. It says, are you left? Are you right? Pointing fingers, taking sides. When are we going to realize we all bleed the same? We're more beautiful when we come together. We all bleed the same. So tell me why why we're divided. If we're going to fight, let's fight for each other. If we're going to shout, let love be the cry. Father, open our eyes to see. And, uh, you know, there's, there's racial divide. There's divide uh, through communities of what to do next uh, because of uh, the death of George Floyd, because of the pandemic. And so we just need to come together and continue having these conversations like we had on this podcast, uh, just being open and honest and just talking to each other, having that communication like uh, uh, Pastor Michael was talking about. Again, thank you so much for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. You can go anytime to WTVM.com slash podcast to listen to the other previous 26 episodes you may have missed. We'd also love for you, if you go to Apple Podcasts, if you choose that, go to the bottom of the page. They don't always make it easy, but go there and give it a five-star review and write a quick review, um, just you know, a couple sentences about if you like this podcast, what you like about it, and that'll help keep us going. And, and uh, next week on the Run the Race podcast, you're going to hear from a uh, husband and wife team and uh, who are uh, nutrition and health consultants and specialists uh, because you know some of us have gained weight during this pandemic, and we want to get back and get fit and eating right and get ready for uh, uh, going to the beach and other summer vacations and having that beach body. So they have some, uh, some really important advice you're not going to want to miss on next week's episode. So until next time, y'all have a great week.